right, good evening. Sorry you caught me. Uh, let's go ahead and stand as we open up in prayer tonight. Uh, everybody okay? Thank you for being with us online tonight. We're glad that you're with us on this Wednesday before Easter, uh, midweek through the triumphant entry. Uh, difficult day tomorrow, hopeless day on Friday, but Sunday always came. I may have a need tonight. You'll just signify by lifting your hand. Let's just pray. If you're online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. Father, we love you tonight, and we're so grateful, Lord, to be able to come together and study your word. Lord, I thank you for the flowers budding and, and blossoming. Lord, thank you for the reminders that you are mindful of us. Thank you for the wonderful rain this morning. Uh, Lord, nourishing our land. We, Lord, desperately need rain uh, in our communities, and I just thank you for uh, Lord, doing that, showering us. And I just pray, let that be a spiritual application that you would shower us with your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, saturating uh, our, our dry and weary souls, Lord, help us. I pray, Father, for every hand that went up in the building tonight, Lord, every situation, every, every need. Lord, there are those that uh, uh, just need a touch, a physical touch, uh, a healing. God, I thank you that healing is found in you. I, I pray, Father, for those that are in the hospital uh, recovering, those that are facing procedures, uh, Lord, those that are at home not, not feeling well. Lord, we just thank you that we can come to you in our, our time of physical need, knowing that you are able. You are, according to Exodus, Lord, you're the God who heals. And so, Father, we pray healing would be found uh, tonight for those that need that touch. I pray for those that need some encouragement. I pray, Father, for those that, uh, uh, Lord, in the middle of, of, of chaotic things that are going on right now, Lord, just bring supernatural peace, impart that to them. And, Father, I pray for those that need guidance. Lord, just give them the wisdom that uh, they need, Lord. I pray, God, that you'll give them the guidance and, and speak uh, clearly to them as to what they need to do. Father, I pray for all the ministries on campus tonight. I pray that in everything that you would be exalted. Uh, Lord, we pray for the ministries. Lord, thank you for a wonderful friend day on Sunday. As we look forward to Easter, Lord, we just pray, God, that you'll prepare hearts and minds. And, Lord, again, it's about souls. Help us to continue to focus on reaching lost people for you. We ask you to be with us in our time of study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says to us. We commit it now to you in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Amen. God bless you. you may be seated tonight. All right. Go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. While you're turning there, just a couple of announcements. Don't forget, tomorrow is our food distribution day um, at uh, Yellow Jacket Stadium. We could, again, thanks uh, again for all of our volunteers. We could not do it without, without uh, a team. It's a lot of work, uh, but, it, again, it, I, we've had so many messages this week. People are hurting. Um, uh, people are really struggling with, uh, with just the economy and inflation and just... All, all kinds of things, and so we, um, we, we're, we're excited to be able to do that, to be able to give food away. We have food for 200 families, and uh, uh, so anyway, we'll be out there. Don't forget, also, week is uh, Easter, and we're and far away. Uh, we do have two services Sunday. I know I kind of blundered that last week, I guess, whatever, but we will. We have our normal 830 service. We have our 1045. Following the 1045 service, we'll go right out with the kids. We have our helicopter egg drop. And uh, looking forward to that. Then move forward another week. And on the 24th, we're having a baptism service. Uh, then we have several that have signed up for, uh, to be baptized. If you know someone that has committed their life to the Lord or needs to be baptized, if you'll let them know, we'd love to baptize them that day. Also, that is the day that we're doing our bottles, bibs, and more. Uh, so 
with that in mind, we're going to, uh, I'll mention it probably Sunday, but we'll put it in our electronic newsletters and stuff that goes out. But we're going to need some help up here probably Saturday, uh, which would be the 23rd for a couple of hours. We need to get the products set up. We have basically they're palletized in two pallets. So there's a big, there's a, a big container about the size of a pallet that's about this tall and it's full. Uh, each one of them is about $10,000 worth of, of product. And so we will need to get those into the gym and put out on tables. And so, um, uh, I'll, I'll have the final details. We haven't been able to kind of hone that in yet, but we'll do that this week and hopefully by Sunday be able to promote that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we've had a lot of traction on social media, new moms expecting, you know, new moms and recent or recent moms and expectant moms. Um, our, our advertisement was shared over 150 times, uh, which is pretty significant social media platform. So there's a, uh, again, any th- opportunity we get to serve the community, we are looking forward to that. Anyway, let's get right into our teaching tonight. We last Wednesday night started a series uh, entitled "Strength and Weakness," and uh, we're actually studying through Second Timothy. And tonight we're going to be talking about assumptions. Assumptions. Uh, how many's ever assumed something? Uh, we'll leave it at that. So let's First Corinthians chapter one. I mean, excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter one, beginning verse twelve. Now I don't know that I'll read all the way through. Uh, to verse 4 of the second chapter, but we'll go a little bit. Beginning verse number 12 says, For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than than what you read or understand. Now I trust that you will understand even to the end as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast as you are also ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 15, And in this confidence I intended to come to you before, that you might have a second benefit, to pass by the way of you to Macedonia and to come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Therefore, when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh that with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silvanius and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him amen, to the glory of God through us. And we'll just stop there. Uh, we're gonna, I'll make reference to the rest, but if you want to read the rest of the context, we'll go down into chapter 2 to verse number 4. That'll kind of uh, give you some context. So as we get into the lesson tonight, again, we're talking about assumptions. Um, have you ever had the wrong assumption about someone or some situation? You know, it's kind of funny. How many of you get in trouble with social media? How, how, or, or maybe not social media, but, but these things right here. You know, they have a feature on this thing called autocorrect. And uh, I've been embarrassed a couple of times uh, by autocorrect because it's corrected something that didn't need to be corrected. Uh, I'd text someone, and fortunately it was a friend of mine, but I was, we were talking about that. You, anybody, of course, you go to babes, they still do it. How many of you remember the hokey pokey? You know, 
I mean, I used but I turned myself around, you know, type thing. Anyway, so I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and I was talking about the hokey pokey, but autocorrect had it hanky panky. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and she responded back to me, and I'm like, I'm just glad. I'm glad it's you and not somebody else. Um, so we make assumptions, and, and, and we look at situations, and, you know, it's always funny because, uh, you know, somebody will say, well, they're mad at me. They're, no. Did they sound your words? Did they catch anything? You know, we make assumptions. We make assumptions about people, and we make assumptions about situations. Um, human nature being what it is, every one of us makes assumptions about many things, and especially about people. We assume things, and, 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 and pardon this, but we swear up and down that's true. And sometimes it has no basis in reality whatsoever. It's just an assumption. Uh, one writer said, we are so prone to be suspicious. When we become offended or hurt, we immediately begin to look for evidence that someone did wrong us. He goes on and says, I can't tell you how many times I have done that in my marriage or in my parenting, but I can tell you how many times it's been done to me. I keep track of those things. I'm a bit, uh, I'm being a bit, he goes on and says, I'm, a, I'm being a bit facetious, but not much. It's really amazing how often I'm quick to assume that someone has it in for me. How often do we assume because somebody, uh, you know, is short with us, maybe they're pressed for time and they don't stop, they're not chatty Cathy's and they don't stop and talk like they normally would. What do we do? We automatically assume that they must be mad at us or something must have happened. And, and so, you know, there are a few things that hurt more than being misunderstood, Right? There are a few things that hurt more than being misunderstood by those who are close to us. You know, and, and here's the thing. The cro- closer they are, the greater the pain. The closer they are, the greater the pain. When that happens, we, uh, here's the thing. We discover a lot about ourselves and how we respond when we've been misunderstood tells us a great deal about the depth of our faith. When someone responds to us, when, some, when we're misunderstood, how we respond to that really says a lot because, again, we have those two natures inside of us that war against each other, right? And, and the human nature being what it is, when somebody offends us or somebody harms us, what's the tendency? It, it is to retaliate. It's to seek retribution. It's to get even. Uh, and, and so when, when we're done wrong, it's, it's, uh, it's very telling to the depth of our spirituality how we respond. Now, this is where we are tonight. This is, this is where we find Paul. Paul in this particular text, finds himself in trouble with a church that he founded in Corinth. Now, uh, now for reference, you can go back and read Acts 18 because that's the parallel story where Paul goes to Corinth and he spends 18 months uh, with the Corinthian people, winning them to Christ and establishing this church. So he was the founding pastor. He was, um, he was near and dear to that church. But if you know anything about the Corinthian church, they had some issues, right? They had a lot of issues. Um, So he spent 18 months there. After he spent those 18 months there, he left. uh, And when he left, there was a a faction that arose in the congregation that basically started challenging his leadership. There were some busybodies that got busy, uh, you know, slandering him, calling into question his integrity, calling into question his character um, and his leadership. They challenged his authority. They insinuated that he wasn't a real apostle. They, again, they attacked his character. They accused him of using the Corinthian church for his own gain. 
And these troublemakers, again, if you read, if you read the Corinthian letters, they succeeded in, in, in turning most of the church against the Apostle Paul. Again, there have been some parallels in modern times of people that have taken issue and twisted things and made it their agenda to run out the preacher or whatever. You know, that's kind of what went on. That's what was happening. And, and so the question is, so what ticked them off? I mean, here's the Apostle Paul who comes and spends 18 months in Corinth building this church and witnessing and seeing people saved, and he establishes the church. And, and then when he leaves, this faction arises and begins to pretty much just diss his, his reputation, smear him, call into question his integrity. So what was it that ticked him off so bad? I mean, again, when you would think when people start viciously attacking others, you would think, man, there's got to be something that's just out there. Well, here's what it was. What, met, what ticked that faction off was the fact they said Paul could not be trusted because, now listen to this, because he changed his travel plans twice. That's what ticked them off. He changed his travel plans twice. Uh, you know, and, and he hadn't come back, like he said, to visit the Corinthians. You know, again, he told them, I'm going to come back. He hadn't come back like he said he was. So that proved to that faction that he was a fickle man whose character and message could not be trusted. Now, we, we look at that, that's kind of silly, right? But how many churches have split over something silly like that? How many pastors have just flat out just quit because they couldn't, they couldn't deal with that kind of silliness. Again, that's what it was. I mean, again, it's silly, right? Remember, this angst started over something small. And, and the reality is that's how it usually happens. It's usually something small. I can remember probably back in the mid-'90s, we had a couple that left the church here, and the reason why, most never bothered to tell me. But, and they didn't. Somebody else informed me later what happened. But I was... Coming on a Sunday morning, I'll just tell you the story. So it's, it's mid-90s, and, and, and I'm coming out of my office, coming to Sunday morning service. I'm, I'm coming in to preach, and they stopped me at the, water, at the water fountain and started sharing with me about some issues that they had going on. And, of course, now, mind you, I'm coming in here to preach, so my mind is I'm, I'm focused on coming in here to preach that morning, and I, I don't know what I said. I don't remember what I said. But apparently, it wasn't good enough. And so, because I was inattentive to their need, they needed to find a place where someone paid more attention to them. That was the reason. And they come to see me during the week, or you could have waited till after the service was over when I, you know, I've got to, I'm trying to zero in on what God wants to do that morning and to be bombarded with needs that are going to cloud. Again, does that make sense? Yeah, but because I didn't pay attention, I didn't show enough interest or compassion or whatever, they left. That's kind of, it, it starts small. It starts small. You know, someone, I mean, think about it. Think about the offense that happens in most churches. Someone didn't greet us in the hallway, or maybe they didn't respond to our email, or they didn't invite. I, I always tell people, look, if I don't get back to you in 24 hours, please do it again. Either it went to my spam folder, or I'm out of the office, or something. Please help me out. But, you know, maybe we didn't respond to an email, or maybe the, uh, we didn't get invited to the party, or maybe they didn't show up for an appointment, or maybe we heard they said something negative about us, or they didn't laugh at our jokes. 
I mean, I know we laugh about that. We think, really? There are people that get bent out of shape over stuff like that. Or they suddenly seem cold, you know, when, when they used to be glad to see us. I mean, it's just stuff like that. See, from a tiny spark of discontent, a mighty flame of unhappiness grows. That's how it happened. And that flame, if it's not dealt with, soon becomes, I mean, you think about what's going on, some of the wildfires. I, I was driving last night. Uh, uh, I don't even remember where I was at. Anyway, where I was, wherever I was, I was driving, and somebody in front of me flicked out a cigarette butt. And I saw that thing, the embers of that cigarette, bounce on the, on the uh, pavement off the side of the road. And I thought, you know, that's all it takes to start just a little spark. And now you, then you could potentially have devastating wildfires that, that wreak havoc wherever it goes. See, that's the way it is in the church. Just a small spark of discontentment, if it's not dealt with, can soon just sweep across the congregation and, leave, and, and just burn everything, lay bare everything. Congregations have split. Friendships have been ended over things that started out very small but grew out of proportion. That's why the Bible teaches us, look, if there's issues with you and somebody else, don't even come to pray to me. Go talk to them. Get it right and then come back because it's important because there's danger when there's assumptions there's danger when we read. That's why I always say, don't, don't read between the lines because there's nothing there. That's why I say that. Because I know the, the propensity of, of, of mankind when we say things, we're always trying to find, okay, what's the angle? What is it that's not being said? And so when I say, hey, don't read anything in there because there's nothing between the lines, that's why I say that. It is plain and simple. So, again, so what do we learn from this? Okay, we're talking about assumptions. So what do we learn from Paul and his situation there in the Corinthian church? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, we, we, we learn that our actions may be questioned. Our actions may be questioned. So, so when you start reading, put, it, put together First Corinthians, First and 2 Corinthians, uh, Paul basically made three decisions about the Corinthian, his trip to, to Corinth. First of all, he planned to go to Macedonia and then to Corinth. Now, we find that story in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. He plans to pass through Macedonia, hopes to spend the winter there in Corinth. Uh, he doesn't want it to be a brief visit, so he spend a bit of time there. But here's what he does. In, in 1 Corinthians 16, 7, he qualifies that by saying, if the Lord permits. He adds that, if the Lord permits. I'm going to come, and I'm going to winter with you. I'm going to stay some time with you. Now, the second thing is he later planned to go to Corinth, and this is our text tonight. He later go, plans to go to Corinth, then to Macedonia, and then back to Corinth, and he mentions that, okay? Verse 15, he said, I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to go to Macedonia. I'm going to come back to you. And then the third thing, he postponed his trip altogether. Chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he said. I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. So that's the reason that that faction in the Corinthian church, one of the reasons, got upset with Paul. And they started questioning his, his integrity because he said he was coming back and told them he was making that trip, and he didn't do it. He said, I, I changed my mind. That's what started everything. 
again, I, uh, it, it's kind of hard to know everything that was going on there because we don't have all the details. But whatever it was, whatever caused Paul to change his mind on going back to the Corinthian church, his opponents used that, his, his changing of his plans to attack his credibility. Basically saying, you know what, you can't. he told us he's coming back, but he's not, so you can't trust anything he says. Listen, if, if somebody wants to find all you, if you don't give them a reason, they'll find one. They'll twist something. They'll, they'll assume something so they have a justification for unscriptural behavior. So that, that's it right there. You know, so his opponents, his critics say, well, because he's changed his mind, you know, he's just not, you can't trust him. I mean, he says he's coming, but he never shows up. Now, I understand. Listen, keeping your words important. I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that you, we should be flippant with how we commit to things. I think we should be very prayerful about how we commit to things. I, when my children were small, I always added kind of like what Paul said, if, if it's possible, this is what we're going to do. I always added that. By the way, uh, we're going to do a men's fishing trip on May the 6th. I got 10 spots. <laughs> Lord willing. Lord willing. It'll be a sign-up sheet Sunday. Uh, but we need to be true to our word. I mean, it, because our word, go, it goes to our integrity and it goes to our character. You know, if people can't, listen, if people don't feel like they can trust what you say, why would they even listen to you? Why would they listen to you? Paul, so Paul kind of answers that. Verse 12, he says, my conscience is clear. Verse 12, he said, I'm not hidden anything from you. Verse, thir- uh, verse 13, he says, I haven't tried to deceive you. Again, Paul was like, look, you're getting mad at this, but I'm not hidden anything from you. I've told you exactly what was going on. William Barclay, I love what he said. He said, we might add a new beatitude to the list, and that is this. Blessed is the man who has nothing to hide. I thought that's pretty good. Blessed is the man who has nothing to hide. Sometimes all we can do is speak the truth uh, from our own heart, and, 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 and sometimes it's not going to be enough. How many found that out? Sometimes you lay your soul bare, you say the truth, you, 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 you basically are transparent, and it's still not enough. You know what? If that's not enough, here's the thing. Talking for hours and hours and hours is not likely to make a difference. It's not likely to make a difference. In times of trouble, there are times I just simply say, Lord, let your will be done and let the truth come out. That's all we can do. Lord, let your will be done and let the truth come out. Because I believe that. You know, and, and what that prayer does is it kind of satisfies our, our heart because we're asking God, God, your will be done. Let your will be done in this situation. Because, I, listen, I always have an idea of how I think things ought to go. But I want God's will and the way he wants it to go. So, again, learning some of these lessons, the first thing we, we learn is our actions may be questioned, which leads to the second thing, our words may be twisted. Our words may be twisted. How many ever been accused of saying something that you didn't say? Yeah, I mean, I had a lady one time show up at the office, and they, got, they were madder and all get out to something I supposedly said in a sermon. And I'm like, I didn't say that. I'm like, yeah, we did. We were sitting there. We heard that. And I said, no, I didn't say that. And they insisted. So you know what I did? I pulled out the tape. <laughs> That's when we had tapes, the cassette tape. And I said, here, go listen to it and find it and come show. Let me hear it. 
Wednesday night, came back in and said, we're sorry, you didn't say what we said you said. <laughs> but sometimes people are going to hear what they think you, you know, they're going to hear. That's where the assumptions come in. You know, Paul, Paul doesn't try to hide his changing of his, the, the changing of his plans. I mean, it's true. It's true that he had changed his mind several times. Whether the Corinthians could really understand it or not, Paul's only concern, here's the thing, his only concern, verse 24, is this. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So, so basically, Paul, he wanted to come see them, but only if his visit would bring about healing and spiritual growth. So Paul felt it necessary to say, hey, wait a minute, let's slow this roll because there's some contention here, and it's not to your benefit that I come. That was his reasoning. Sound like a pretty good reason, right? I mean, if you're going to inflame a situation by showing up, would it not be wisdom to say, time out, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to take a hiatus for just a moment? That's what Paul was doing. But, but then you go on, and we read this in verse 17. They accused him of his inconsistency. And so Paul says, well, did, did, I, did, I, did I say yes, yes, no, no? Is that, is that the, the fickleness that I have? He says, I didn't say all of that just for the fun of it. Paul said, check out my message. This is my paraphrase. Check out my message. It comes from God. He never changes. His message is always yes, and we as people say amen to all of God's promises. Everything God promises will come true. I love what D.L. Moody said one time. He said, God never made a promise that was too good to come true. God never made a promise that was too good to come true. And then he lists in uh, verses 21, 22, uh, what God has done for us through Christ. He anointed us. He sealed us. And he gave us the Holy Spirit as an earnest or a deposit. So you and I are what he's telling them. That they would stand firm in Christ, never wavering, never being blown away by the winds of adversity, never being swept away by the changing tides of life. That's why Paul wanted to go back. He wanted to be some benefit to them. See, there's a difference that comes from knowing Christ deeply and intimately, walking with him on a daily basis. God wants us to have that sort of foundation that we can build our lives upon as his children a solid, firm foundation. You say, well, what difference does it make to know all of these things? Well, think about it. It helps when we face life-challenging crises, but it also helps when we're misunderstood. It helps when people make assumptions about us, when our words are being twisted. You see, some people are going to choose to misunderstand us no matter what we say or what we do. They're going to impugn our motive they're going to, they're going to, again, again the, the, there's no limitation to what people will say and how they will misconstrue things to, again, align with their perceived ideology or mindset. It's not. No limit. To them, to them, we have no answer except to say, you know what? Our conscience is clear. Our conscience is clear. You know, to be able to say, you know what? I'm going to sleep well tonight. You know, this thing may be troubling you because you're reading in it. You're reading things that are not there. But for me, my conscience is clean. I'm going to bed. I like what Paul said one time. He said, my hands are clean of the blood of all men. What was he saying? He was saying, look, I'm doing everything. I'm doing what he called me to do. I'm doing what he commissioned me to do. I'm delivering the word. I'm doing all of these things. So I'm going to go sleep because I'm actively doing what God called me to do. And nobody will be able to point a finger at me and say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? Again, 
when we've done all that we can, you know, again, we just have to rest our reputation in his hands. I've always told my children, you know what? There will always be people that will question who you, you know, your integrity, your, your, your character. I said, but people who truly know you, know you. And you can't let those who twist things out of proportion to cause you to, to toss and turn all night long can't do that. Paul was dealing with this faction in the Corinthian church, and he's like, look, I, 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 don't, I, I don't know what's, I mean, I'm, I, I didn't come to you because I want to come, and I want to be beneficial to you because I love you. So I chose not to because the visit wouldn't be, ple- you know, the visit wouldn't be pleasant. It wouldn't be pleasant. Again, we're never going to stand firm in our own strength when trouble comes our way. We can't do it in ourselves. I've always heard, and I, love, I don't remember where I read this, but good theology will save your life. And I think this passage kind of proves that, that if we just plant ourselves in who he is, it doesn't matter that our motives are questioned. It doesn't matter that our words are twisted because our conscience is clean before the Lord. Again, when we go to bed at night, when people twist our words, don't despair. Just be honest and open before the Lord and go to bed and rest comfortably. Because there will always be people twisting our words. Speak the truth, explain yourself clearly, and then entrust your future with the God who knows us through and through. Listen, if there's any ulterior motive in our hearts, guess what? He's going to know about it. He's going to know about it. And if we truly pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate things in our life, I promise you, he's going to let you know that you did that out of selfish ambition. He'll he'll let us know. And then we can deal with it through repentance uh, then, but, but don't let other people convict you when the Holy Spirit hasn't convicted you. Don't let them twist your words and make you feel guilty for something that you didn't do. Right? So trust him. Trust him in those times of chaos so that we be strong when we go through the struggle. And the third thing is this. Our motives are going to be challenged. Our motives are going to be challenged. See, Paul's critics thought that he was some kind of fly-by-night preacher, a fickle preacher that just seemed to be on a power trip, looking to take advantage of people, maybe a, a control freak that just enjoyed the people that thrive on these people. That's all they crave. When in reality, we should be playing to the audience of one. Really. We should be playing to the audience of one. When Paul didn't show up the, when they expected him to, what else could they conclude but that he didn't love them? And they begin to run their mouth to other people. And it began to take hold in the Corinthian church. And so in verse 23, Paul says, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Paul said, you don't want me there right now. See, back then they did discipline a whole lot different than we do. Right? I mean, they had troublemakers in the church and they carried two dead people out the door of the back. We don't do that in our churches anymore. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to be funny there. <laughs> Paul said, I, listen, it's not good. You don't want me there right now. You don't want me there right now. He stayed away so that there wouldn't be an angry. How many understand that anger, when you're angry, you, you can't do anything productive? I tell husbands and wives all the time, listen. If you're at each other's throat, if you're at each other's throat, you can't make rational decisions. 
If that's a heated environment, one of you, go to mama's house for a day or two. Go to dad's house for a day or two. Don't stay in a, in a heated situation where you're going to say things that you're going to regret. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind because when, our, when we get angry, we put our brain in neutral and our mouth in gear and we just let it fly. Paul's saying, look, you don't want me to come there. I don't want there to be an angry confrontation. And that's what was going to happen. So that's why he made up his mind not to visit them. He said, he said uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he said, I don't want to come with a, another painful visit. I don't want it to be one of those confrontational things. Now, he, he wrote them a tough letter, and apparently we don't have that letter, lost to history, in which he basically confronted his critics. And, and, and so now basically Paul's saying to his critics, look, now he, he's saying, look, I said what I needed to say, and I wrote what I needed to write, so I'm not going to do anything right now. You know how I feel. I've addressed this. I've, I've laid it out, and I'm not going to deal with it right now. And then he adds this here, I think it's very, very interesting. Verse number four. He said, for I wrote to you, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Now think about that. Paul had obviously corrected some things that were wrong. He had addressed some inconsistencies and some sinful behaviors. And he said, as I, as I wrote this to you, it was with tears. It was with tears. One of the things that kind of bothers me sometimes when I gather with pastors is to hear them joke about a confrontation with a person in the church. I think that ought to grieve our hearts. I'll share illustrations, but I don't talk about confrontations with people in that regard. Paul said it was with tears. It was with tears. I think church fights, church splits, I think it grieves Father God. Well, I don't think, I know it does. Because the writer of Proverbs said there are seven things that the Lord, Lord hates. One of them is a divisive spirit. One who sows discord among the brethren. It's not a good thing. Again, Paul said, I did this. I wrote to you. I did it with distress and anguish of heart, with many tears, not to grieve you, but I want you to know how much I truly love you. Listen, it's hard for anyone to hear that. because It's hard for, it's hard for us to understand that we can't solve every problem. Evidently, there was a situation in Corinth because the church was so conflicted and Paul had already sent them a very stern and very painful letter. And so he said, look, I'm not coming back right now. You, you don't need me there right now. This is a very tense situation. Again, and I think that's wisdom. I think that's wisdom. I think God gave him an impartation of wisdom right there not to go back. Human nature being what it is, we make assumptions, and I think human nature being what it would, we would have gone back. <laughs> Come on. Let's get this thing worked out. <laughs> I think Paul heard from the Lord. Paul knew that his personal presence weren't that much and make things worse. It would only make it worse. Sometimes, listen, sometimes we need to meet and hash it out, right? But sometimes we need to back off and give space. 
We need to give space and give time to think and pray and discuss and give the Holy Spirit time to soften hearts, right? Sometimes you got to know when to hold them, and sometimes you got to know when to, there you go, fold and hold or whatever it is. <laughs> I don't gamble, so I don't even have a clue. Anyway, whatever he's saying, you got to do that sometimes. <laughs> again, I, uh, I, 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 just, I just love the way it ends. Because, again, he speaks of a difficult letter he wrote to the Corinthian church, and he said, it was with great anguish that I did that. I corrected you. I sent this letter to you, because, but it hurt me. But I wanted you to know that I loved you. See, the, the mind-blowing part was he wrote that letter so that they would know how much he loved them. Now, I'm not sure that they felt love when he, they were reading the letter, right? I mean, how many of us think of love when somebody corrects us on something? We don't think that that's love, but, I mean, think about it. Paul's letter, because he was stern, I think Paul's letter proved just how much he loved them. Listen, when I, shout to my, when I shout at my children, watch out, in order to prevent them from being hit by a car, think about it. Am I shouting because I hate them? No. I'm doing it because, I'm doing it because I, I love them so much that I'm, I would risk raising my voice, scaring them to save his life. Listen again, I, that's love just as much as hugging my son or my daughter and saying I love you. That's still love, tough love. When we see a child headed to a, a, hot, a hot iron, we, we, we are stern because we know the danger that they're about to, to encounter. We watch that stove or that fireplace where they're intrigued by that. We, we raise our voice. We, we intervene because we love them. If we didn't, we'd just let them do whatever. That's, what, that's kind of the analogy with Paul. So Paul decides to wait for God to work. In order not to stir up trouble, he decides not to come to Corinth at this month, uh, at this moment. So here we see true Christian character at work in the Apostle Paul. He has no desire to stir the pot. See, sometimes people are going to assume things, and we've got to be like Paul and say, you know what, sometimes I just need to, there's a time to meet and hash, there's a time to back off and let God work. And you know what? I love what he said in verse 2. He said, when I do come. See, Paul was still planning to go see them. But he, don't want to, he doesn't want to visit now because he would, it would be very tense and he would stir up more problems. So right now he said, when I do come, what is he doing? He's waiting. He's waiting for the opportunity. See, waiting can be hard, right? Waiting is hard, perhaps the hardest discipline of the Christian life. I think when I look back over 30 years of ministry, uh, you know, probably the most, most of the mistakes that I made in the, in the past 30 years have all become, have all, have all happened because I refused to wait. Anybody ever become impatient with things that you wanted to? Okay, I'm just glad I'm in, in familiar company. You know, most of my mistakes down through the years have been because I was impatient. Paul chooses right here. You know, to me, I've jumped in like the proverbial bull in the china shop, Right? trying to fix everything according to my own vision of what should be right and wrong. And, uh, again, I'm not saying that we should go the opposite and be totally complacent. I'm not saying that or disinterested. I'm just simply saying maybe we need to actively wait. I love what David said in Psalm 37, 8, Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. Only to evil. So, listen, if God is God, he can be trusted to do right but he doesn't work on our timetable. So, so here's the thing. How do we respond to that? When somebody questions our motives, when somebody twists our words, 
when somebody, again, uh, uh, questions our, our plans, our they impugn our integrity, how do, how do we respond to that? Because how many of us have heard that many times that it's not what happens to you, it's how you respond. And just because somebody lashes out at us, we still have a Christian obligation to what would Jesus do? You know, I, I would, that was such a cool thing that came, uh, you know, and, and, and it just kind of fizzled out like so many other things. But I still think that's probably one of the best ways to live a Christian life. What would Jesus do? Of course, you've got to read the Bible to find out what he would do, right? <laughs> you know, you've got to get in the Word and find out what he would do. But So how do we respond? Let me give you a couple of takeaways this, this, as we wrap this up. The first thing is this. First takeaway is sometimes we're going to be, we, we are going to be misunderstood by our close friends. Again, Paul clearly loved the Corinthians. He knew them well, and they knew him well. And yet, somehow, a rift between them occurred. The same thing happens in marriages. It happens in families. It happens among friends and coworkers. And it, yes, it happens in the church. If you haven't been misunderstood lately, don't worry. Because it's going to happen before long. Somebody's going to, they're going to say up and down, you said one thing when you didn't say that. You're going to be misunderstood. So understand, that's part of living in a fallen world. It happened to the Apostle Paul. It'll happen to us sooner or later. So the first takeaway is you're going to be misunderstood. Second thing is this. The best defense is an honest, clear, non-defensive explanation. Non-defensive explanation. What does that mean? Listen, we like, to, we like to defend ourselves, right? Again, there's something in that fight-or-flight mechanism that we have that when somebody attacks us, our initial response is to jump back and to defend ourselves. Okay? But how many know the Bible says that it is a soft answer that turns away wrath? I remember my first when I first hired with the city of Irving, I've told you this before. I don't know if they still offered A and M Extension. Um, used to have a course that you could take, and, and city of Irving actually ran all of us through this course. It was, I think, it was two weeks long. I don't remember now, but it was called Verbal Judo. <laughs> That's what it was called, Verbal Judo. And the idea behind it was, again, as a city official. I'm going to people's property, businesses, wherever, and I'm making demands of them. I'm saying, look, you're in noncompliance, you're nonconformity, we've got to get this right. So I'm confronting them, and, and listen, we live in America. You don't tell me what to do on my, how many, how many, don't tell me what to do on my property. So you can see real quickly how things could get very, very tense. So they sent us to verbal judo so that we can respond without raising the blood pressure, so to speak. How many of you ever remember uh, Joe Friday from Dragnet? Okay. Remember what he used to say? Anybody, anybody remember what he used to say? Just the facts, ma'am. Just the facts. See, so, so Paul, here's how he does it. Paul doesn't complain. He doesn't blame. He doesn't point fingers. He, he's, he's not long-winded. He's not long-winded. He just lays out an explanation so that they understand and can decide for themselves why he didn't come back to Corinth. Just the facts. 
I was going to come back to you. I had planned. Here's what I was going to do. I was going to come to Corinth. I was going to go to Macedonia, come back to Corinth. But I decided to change my mind because I didn't want it to be grievous to you. I'd already written a tense letter to you. It broke my heart. But it revealed the depth of my love. But I'm not coming back right now because it's not good for you. That's it. That's it. That was his defense. Number three, we can't control how people respond to us. This is the hard part. You know, the Bible said, Paul said in Romans, as much as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And as much as it depends on that, that means that you own your responsibility. Go try to be that peacemaker. But if it is not reciprocated, it's not on you. There will be people that will rebuff your attempt to establish peace. When you extend that olive branch, there will be people that will take it and they will trash it under their feet. Not on you. Not on you. Now it becomes their issue. Now it becomes their issue. See, because here's the thing. Rarely will our explanations convince anyone or everyone. Not anyone, everyone. Some people, it doesn't matter. They, they've twisted our words. They've impugned our character. And no matter what you say, that's how they're going to see you. And your explanations will not convince everyone. Sometimes even our close friends will choose not to believe us. At some point, we just have to decide to leave our reputation in God's hands and walk away from the controversy. That's it. Listen, in ministry, there have been times I've been accused and said things about, and I've just had to say, you know what, God? I can't do anything about it. I can serve and do the best I can, and, 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 and God, you know my heart. I would never intentionally hurt anyone. But the truth of the matter is, I'm a human becoming, and sometimes I blow it. I miss the mark, and, and whenever I, I realize I, 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 I eat crow. I've, I've eaten enough crow in 30 years. I'm telling you, I've, I've learned to like it. It's like chicken. Kinda like, you, ever been to, you been to Popeye's? I'm convinced they're serving crow. I'm sorry. That's a, that's a broadcast. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My point is this. Last time I was in there and I ordered from, not this one, I hadn't been in there. But the last one I was in, I got a chicken leg that was that big. I said, you know, whoever your buyer is, tell them let the chickens grow a little more. <laughs> that's my point, <laughs> okay? Anyway, I'm, I'm digging a hole. I hope somebody from Popeye's not watching me. I love Popeye's chicken. <laughs> I think I may go there after service. <laughs> Listen, here's the thing. If we live to please people, uh, Warren Wiersbe said this. And I love this quote. He said, if you live to please people, misunderstandings will depress you. But if you live to please God, you can face misunderstandings with faith and courage. You just say, Lord, I'm going to leave it in your hands, and I'm going to move on. And that's all we can do. And you know what? There are some people that will never, ever release you from that. And that's okay. That's on them, not you. Not on you. And the fourth thing is this. Pray for those who misunderstand you. Pray for them. A Sunday school teacher was teaching uh, on our need to reach the unreachable. And he specifically mentioned how Jesus reached out to the lepers. And, and so as he is doing his presentation, talking about lepers and how Jesus reached out to the unreachable type people, he asked this question, who, <coughs> pardon me, who are the lepers in your life? Who are the lepers in your life? 
and said there was an uncomfortable silence that just filled the classroom. <laughs> no one said anything. No one wanted to answer the question. Finally, a man spoke up and said, you know what? There are some people that I find very difficult to be around. Referring to these lepers, the call to reach these lepers, these people that he finds very uncomfortable to be around, here's what he said. He said, that's good preaching, but hard living. Isn't that good? That's good preaching, but it's hard living. And how many know that's, that's it right there? That's hard. It's easy to say love the people who misunderstand you, but it's awful hard to put that into practice because we don't like to be wounded. We don't like to be talked about. Again, there are assumptions. That's what we're talking about, assumptions. And the last one is, pardon me, is this. Never return evil for evil. No matter what the temptation is to get in the flesh, you know, I was talking to uh, uh, a young man a couple weeks ago. He had come, come down from another city and wanted to visit, and so I was talking with him. He was talking about his anger problem, talking about a, he had some anger issues. And I said, man, man, i been there, done that. Don't want to tell you I've got the T-shirt. i got the scars. I said, but uh, here's the thing. Anger never prospers. It never does anything good. It does not. I said, because when you get angry and you lash out, then they get angry and they lash out, and then you up the ante. And I said, that's why you see this senseless violence going on. Anger doesn't do anything positive. Well, I mean, I guess there, are, there is righteous indignation that spurs us to do righteous deeds, but you understand what I'm talking about. When somebody does something to us, the temptation is to respond in kind. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You know, I grew up with that. Somebody hit me. You better watch out. I don't have time to tell you a story, but there's a story that, uh, that I'm, if, if you want to say renowned for at my high school, I did something that was so bizarre. <laughs> I'll put it that way. As a form of retaliation. I have to tell it to you one day because it was the way the brain works. A guy did something I didn't like. I connived and schemed and was able to get revenge but didn't prosper. Actually, it was, it was a bad deal. Again, we never should return evil for evil. It's hard. It's hard, especially when our motives are repeatedly attacked because we want to defend ourselves. But if we're going to be like the Lord, what happened to him? Remember what he, he when, even when he was reviled, he did not return evil for evil. When he faced that shouting crowd, he did not trade insults. He didn't try to get even. He didn't make, he, he didn't make accusations against them. And, I, I, again, that's not natural. I understand it's not a natural way to live. We're not called to live naturally. We're called to live supernaturally. See, when we're insulted, our natural inclination is to return an insult for an insult. But Jesus chose the other way. In fact, Isaiah 53, 7 says, As a sheep, so he opened not his mouth. He opened not his mouth. When he stood before Pilate, Herod, the jeering mob, he uttered no insults, and he made no threats. The very one who through him and by him all things were made said nothing. Said nothing. When they beat him, he didn't retaliate. When the soldiers pushed that crown of thorns into his brow, he didn't curse them. When they drove nails into his hands and his feet, he didn't threaten them. When the bystanders uh, spat at him, he didn't spit back. When they swore, he didn't swear back. This is going to happen to us. 
And that's the real test of our faith. See, we find out what we really believe when others mistreat us. That reveals who we really are on the inside. The real test of our faith is not what is, is what we don't do. Sometimes we're a better Christian by not saying anything at all, right? So what was his secret? I'm going to close with this. What was his secret? How, how was Paul able to respond like this? Well, the answer I think we can find in 1 Peter chapter 2. And here's what Peter wrote. He entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He entrusted himself into the one who judges justly. In other words, he just released it to God because God will judge, and God will judge righteously, fair, and holy. There's a lot of times in our world today people claim rights, right? I got a right, I got a right. You know what? That spirit has invaded the church. That spirit has invaded the church, and we hear people getting angry and saying, well, how dare you trample on my rights? Most of our problems today stem from claiming rights that we think we're entitled to. But see, the Bible turns that upside down. See, we're not to think of our rights first. We're to think of others first. That's kingdom living. So when we're misunderstood, when there's some assumptions made about us, remind yourself that it's not about me. I love that song that says, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. That's it. It's all about him. And when I can focus on that and understand that, when all the assumptions that are made, again, Paul, don't you think that's kind of silly that the whole church got up in an uproar because Paul changed his mind of going to Corinth twice? I think that's quite, quite silly. But yet it happened, and it will happen to us. How do you respond to that? You trust the one who judges justly, and you leave it with his hands. I want you to stand with me tonight. I told you when we started on 2 Corinthians, this is probably one of the most personal letters that Paul writes because it reveals a whole lot about him personally. And he shares his struggles. Last, last week we started out, we talked about the suffering that he had gone through. Just look. You know, he defended his apostleship last week uh, because, again, that was the contention. They were questioning his integrity, his leadership, and his, if he was a true apostle or not. Sometimes everything we do will be put under a microscope and will be evaluated by others. I love the saying that says, don't ever trust the judgment of someone who doesn't have to live with the consequences. Right? God will put people in our pathway to give us wisdom, but ultimately you and I have to make the choice to honor Him with our lives and with our decisions. I want you to bow with me as we close the prayer online. You'll comment, I want to pray with you as well tonight. Here's, here's how I want to close it out tonight. I, 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 this is the way I feel like I need to pray. If you're here tonight or if you're online and you've, mid, you've been misunderstood, may, maybe that's something you're dealing with right now. Somebody's twisted some things that you've said or done to be something that it's not. And it's been very, very painful for you. Well, I just want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray that God will help you to respond. Listen, the natural tendency is to jump up and, and to get into debates and argue and try to defend yourself. You know, the answer is to trust the one who judges justly. 
give a defense, lay out what happened or whatever, however the Lord leads you, but don't debate it. Don't get upset about it. Trust the one who judges justly. If anybody here tonight would just lift your hand right, right, right back down and say, Pastor, I'm in, I've been hurt. I've, I've been misunderstood. And I'm dealing with some of that stuff. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Online, if you'll comment, we'll pray with you as well. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much. Lord, thank you for the writings of the Apostle Paul. Thank you for his example. Lord, his life serves as an example for us. It helps us. Because many of the things that he endured, we also, this Father, as we talk about assumptions tonight, how that people oftentimes will assume things that are not accurate. But it does create a tense environment. It inflames relationships and situations. Father, help us to be godly in the way that we respond. Help us to esteem others more than ourselves. Help us to live others-oriented so that we can process that hurt. Help us to re release the offender. Lord, may we release that to you. I pray for the hands that went up, those online tonight. Lord, I pray you will come, and Lord, may they understand that you're the only one that really matters. Your opinion is the only one that counts. So, Lord, help us to release those that have that have questioned our motives and twisted our words, Lord. Help us to, to, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. And let there be no question because, Lord, we're true and we're honest in what we say and what we do. And Father, I ask you to go with us tonight. Give us a wonderful, restful night. And, Lord, as we prepare for this weekend, Lord, even now ordain what you're going to do. Lord, I pray bring many lives, Lord, all across this world on this Easter day. Lord, may souls by the millions be born again into the kingdom. And right here locally, Lord, in our own church, give us souls for the kingdom on Sunday. Lord, this is a day that we celebrate. Thank you. If Christ be not raised, then our faith is vain. But thank you because you live, we can face every challenge. Now go with us, I pray. Give us a wonderful day, a wonderful evening. May we rest soundly in you. And we just ask your blessings upon each one now in Jesus' name. And we all said amen. Amen. God bless you so much. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you. Born in weary land where many a dream has died. Like a tree planted by the water, we never will run dry. Cause of living water, so living water flows.